Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning and Music at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and Theologian in Residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock, Arkansas. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week, we wade into the parables with Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 34. How striking it is that the chapter starts out by telling us that Jesus creates some physical distance between himself and his listeners by going out in a boat before trying to teach the crowds that have gathered on the land. Similarly, he teaches here in a way that creates a little distance between the words we read and the meaning to be conveyed. The parables in this chapter made us wonder, Which truths from our everyday economy, our everyday lives, will serve us well when we reorient towards God? And which ones are we going to need to relearn? When you're entrusted with something precious, when is it right to be careful with it, and when is it better to be generous with it? And how big or small is our role in God's system anyway? Thanks for listening. Hey, Bobby. How are you? Hey, Amy. I am doing okay. Great. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. Uh, No, I mean, it's such a, it's like a funny time of year, sort of. I don't know. I would like to nominate, okay, this is a weird thing generally and also weird as a Jewish person, but I feel like I wish all the pretty lights weren't done in December. And then we have this long winter that stretches out before us where it is dark and cold. January like, and February are so hard. Extension? Yeah. I mean, Groundhog Day is trying to hold it down. But it's it not doesn't doing really, it. It doesn't really work. No. Like, I'm not looking forward. I guess Valentine's Day, but Valentine's Day just kind of irritates me. Although I will say, if it were not for the terribleness of February, at least in the Northeast, I don't think we ever would have met because I went to visit Emory for the first time in late February. And it was like, late February is like early spring in Atlanta. Yeah, it was like 70 degrees. And I was like drinking beer on the porch somewhere. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm not (laughs) going back to Boston. Yeah. Emory used to do that. I think they did it for that exact reason. I don't know if they do it anymore, but they would bring in all the prospective students in February coming from Yale and Harvard and Chicago, Princeton. Mm -hmm. I know. But now that I've been here for so many years, still, I'm like, no, it's still, it's still too cold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's still too cold. Well, it's not February yet. Maybe by February. You can leave your lights up. Do you put lights up? You can put lights up. You just have your January lights. And people are like, hey, why do you have lights? And you're just like, I have January lights. It's because it's dark. I don't like the dark. That's why. Mm-hmm. The front porch light at our house burned out. I don't know. It's not burned out. It's actually like I need to replace the actual ceiling fan on our porch. Mm. It was like it maybe like the summer. And so it was like it was fine because it was like light till nine o'clock. And right. then like slowly as the winter. And has, now you're like, it's too dark to change a light bulb. <laughs> I, I can't see what I'm doing. I get home from work. <laughs> it's not just changing a light bulb. I'm going to have to like have an electrician oh, yeah, come and replace the ceiling fan because I don't know how to. Electricity makes me nervous. 
That's it would be good. like t- it would be like Uza touching the ark if I tried to change my ceiling. We don't fan. want to do that because then you'd have to like change it while wearing oven mitts, <laughs> and that would be hard. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby, our text today has no oven mitt related stories, but if you can find a use for oven mitts in this story, <laughs> you get bonus points. Bonus points to be cast. I guess if in. you were going to hide a lamp under a bed, you might wear oven mitts. If especially if you were back yeah. in the day where lamps were. Back in were. the day, it might be an oil lamp. Yeah. That's true. That would be very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put an oil That's lamp why you're not your supposed bed. to do it. Don't put your lamp under your, under your bed. Yes. This is fire safety mm-hmm. straight from the mouth of Jesus. Or is it okay, a bushel so- basket? Oh, no, it's <laughs> under the bed. Yeah. Okay, but I, I get ahead of us ourselves. I know. We have to see how this all unfolds, Bobby. We are in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 34. We haven't skipped a whole bunch. We just read from Mark chapter 2 last time. What would you want to put in our minds to orient us as we start this new chapter? Well, since last time Jesus has called the remainder of his disciples and he started teaching a lot. I mean, he's been teaching, but we haven't really heard his teachings. And so... Mm, that's in, true. It just says he was teaching. He's teaching, yeah. And apparently it's really good stuff because when he says follow me, people are like, I'm I'm with you. But we haven't had any real sense of his teaching. And so here in this chapter, in chapter four, that's what we're gonna get is the way that Jesus was teaching his first followers and actually the crowds too. So we'll see there's a little bit of lack of clarity about when exactly is Jesus talking to crowds and when's he talking Mm. to just disciples, but he seems to teach in both contexts. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to get a series of parables here in chapter four, which are, I I mean, I, I assume representative for the gospel of Mark at least, but I think just, this is probably the way Jesus taught as a historical person is in these sort of in these parables. So it's kind of interesting to dig in, to dig into Jesus's teaching that way. Have you ever considered starting to teach in parables? Like <laughs> as a I, professor, you're tenured now. You could do a I lot. I can do whatever of stuff. I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would have to ponder that. I feel. I feel like <laughs> parables are like you got to do some real work. Come you, up with you, a good you parable really is do. actually a lot you of work. You have to do some work. Yes, yeah. you would have to do some work, and also your students would. Have students to would have to work. do some work. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So as we wade into these parables, I know we've talked about this in previous seasons, but can you offer any kind of like guiding, like guiding framework or thoughts for how, how to approach a parable? So the word parable is from the Greek parabolo, which means to throw alongside. And so it's really an effort just to say this thing is like that thing over there. And so the connections between them are not always immediate or obvious in Hebrew. I know when we did, we're working on rabbinic texts together back in the day, the mashal, which Mm. rabbinic interpreters use is related to the parable. And so you're trying to explain some concept and you say, well, it's like this thing. And then you Mm -hmm. give the thing. There's been a long debate about how one should read parables in the new Testament. They are, often read as allegories. And so the first move people will make is to say, well, this thing in the parable is like that thing. And they'll try to spin it out that way, which you can do. And I mean, we will do. And actually Jesus does do here in Mark. But to me, part of the beauty of parables 
is that they don't have a sort of one-to-one like simple takeaway meaning. If it, if you could just say the simple mm-hmm. takeaway meaning, you mm-hmm. would just say the simple takeaway meaning. Right. And so the parable gives you this sort of field of possibility that you can sort of unearth different ideas. And for me, parables shift, you know, depending on what I'm thinking about or where I mm-hmm. am in my life or like what time of year it is. Like the parable sort of takes on different contours depending on the lenses that you bring to it. And I think that's actually intentional. I think that's part of the beauty and the joy of teaching in parables is they can kind of stretch out in these different ways. Mm. With one of these parables today, the quite famous parable of the sower, we'll see that Jesus is said to give an actual interpretation. So he tells the parable and then his disciples are going to say, what was that? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you what it is. Mm-hmm. There's a debate among scholars about how we should read those. Let me tell you what it is. As I'm very persuaded by an argument that I get from Amy Jo Levine, she's not the originator of the argument. That when we see Mark saying this is how Jesus said to read the parable, what we're actually probably getting is Mark's interpretation of the parable. That Jesus probably told these parables, and he maybe he told them multiple times in multiple settings. And they had this sort of multifaceted interpretation. And then the gospel writers come along and say, but this is what you should think it means and put it in the mouth of Jesus. Other people will argue that Jesus actually did interpret his own parables. And so what we get here is actually what Jesus thinks the parable meant. My own approach is to kind of read the parable, play with like, what could this mean? And then see what does Mark say Jesus said and leave it a little bit open about whether that is really what Jesus said. But I try not to let that be determinative, right? I, I try to take that reading seriously, but not as the only possible way that one could read. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We also get other parables and several in today's text that don't have any interpretation. So then you can just go for it. Go hog wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, would you say anything else about parables? I mean, I think I really want to lift up what you said earlier that if they could if this could just be said really simply, like this is not a trick. Right. It's it's not that there's a simple way to say this and they're choosing to be fancy about it. Right. It's that the world is complicated and nuanced and these things are being held up together. And so I think when I read parables, I always have this immediate, there's one thing in the parable being told that feels like a salient feature of the items. And I want to just latch onto that and say, okay, so that must translate to this. Right. But I have to really intentionally slow myself down and say like, well, what else is there about that thing? Like which of these many facets of the things being discussed are being lifted up here? And it's not clear. As you said, it'll depend on the day I read it. Right. But I really, I have to really intentionally slow myself down. As you say that, I'm thinking that's actually kind of the way we read every text. You and you and I, you know, yeah. <laughs> slow down and like. But it's, it it reads it, there's more possibilities I think in the parables. So we are very much a slow down and see what it's possible in a text kind of people. I think. I suppose that's true. Can you believe that when I first started taking writing classes in college, I used to put math formulas in my writing? Like, I did exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. I would be like, I'm just trying to make this logical point, and it's easier to write it in math. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You really are a five on the Enneagram. (laughs) I am a five. 
Through and through. Yeah, I should have been an accountant. Yeah. Okay, let's start reading. Let's do it. I am reading from the NRSV, as I am wont to do, and I'm picking up in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those who were around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive, and they may indeed listen, but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. Okay, before we even get to the parable, I don't have anything smart to say about this, but I have to just comment on how striking an image it is for me that Jesus had to move away from the people in a boat in order to actually be able to talk to them. Like there needed to be this buffer of space where they cannot come. Right. Or else he wouldn't be able to reach them. Like it's, I don't know. I just find that, I don't know, complicated and true and... I don't know. I'll just leave that there. I don't know if you have any other thoughts about that, but I think it's so striking. I, I mean, that's really, I like the way you said that a lot. We've, we've seen this kind of the crowds pressing in on Jesus and really seem to be sort of impeding his ability to do his thing. And earlier in the gospel, in a set of texts we didn't read, but Jesus is actually like kind of trying to get out and say like, no, I need to, like, I need to talk to you. Like, that's the thing. And people are always pressing against him. So I never thought about it, though, like here as the buffer, like literally they cannot get to him. If he had just gone up on a hillside, they would have just come up the hillside. They would have just come up the hillside. Yeah. If he was going in the house, somebody would have dug a hole in the roof and they would have come down through him that way. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. But there has to be that. There has to be some space at this point. Okay. So now we get the sower and the seed. I'm so tempted to try to, I can just feel my mind automatically wanting to yeah, what is this to and what is do that? things yes. with this. Let's just talk about this crazy sower though. But let's talk, yes, let's talk about the crazy sower. And I found myself when I was reading this thinking like, what are all the, what are all the things I could say about a sower? What do you associate or expect or know from someone who sows seeds? I mean, the first thing that I expect of somebody who sows seeds is that they know how to sow seeds. Yeah. And that this, they're doing it on purpose. Yeah. Like they're, this is an intentional act. They're doing it for a reason. Yes. This sower is just flinging seeds like wild to every place. And so, I mean, 
<laughs> if you are, if you imagine that you are somebody who has a limited resource of yes. seeds and you're trying to grow a crop that you would, you know, you might drop a seed here and there on a path yeah. or in a rocky soil, but you would typically be much more careful in yeah. how you are planting. And so the fact that these seeds are on the path and on the ground with no soil and on the rocky soil and only part of it's actually making it into fertile ground where it can actually grow. Right. It's like a three to one ratio of what doesn't make it versus what makes it. That's exactly right. And so, you know, he's not a, he's not a careful sower. He's not, he's not doing the technical thing that one does if you are trained at gardening. Yeah. And it, and if I think of him as sort of like a caregiver, like Adam in the garden, like that kind of, you are, you are caring for, you're responsible for these seeds somehow. I don't, he's like sloppy. He is. He is very sloppy. I'm ju- I find myself judging the sower. I mean, I think maybe that you're supposed to. And if, if yeah. you're thinking like Jesus is talking to people who this is their livelihood, or at least yeah. some of them, they're probably making that exact judgment. Like, what on earth are you doing, sower guy? Like, yeah. you got to be a little more careful with where you put, put your seeds. In verse 8, we get a notice that when it, when it sprouts up, it brings forth 30 and 60 and 100-fold. Mm-hmm. One of the commentators I was reading was, they had done some work on what would have been the expectation of how much you would have produced from your seed. And the numbers that they came up with was that a good harvest would have been f- between fourfold and tenfold. And like an outstanding harvest, like a bumper crop would have been like 15 fold. Mm. And so what we've got here is that the soil that actually produces the lowest number here is twice a bumper crop. So 30 and then we get 60 or 100 fold. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so what we've got is, as you were saying, three-fourths of the seeds don't produce anything. But the ones that, pro- that land in the good soil and produce, produce wildly more than they should have. So mm-hmm. you kind of end up with more of a crop than you would have mm-hmm. if you had been careful in normal conditions. It's like the investment strategy of someone in their 20s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's just throw some money yeah. at some things. We're going to throw some money at some things. And some of them are going to work really well. A lot of them are going to totally tank. Yeah. But as long as one of your dog-themed crypto coins, like, does a thousand <laughs> X or whatever, <laughs> like, that's all you need. Like, that's, that's what nice. this, that's kind of what this guy's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can we just, for a moment, think about the seed? Yeah. Like, what, what could you say about a seed? Write me a limerick right now about a seed. No, a sonnet. <laughs> No, you don't have to write me a sonnet. There once was a seed in a bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Who got thrown on the ground. (laughs) I think I can't continue. Near the bucket. I already did bucket. Yeah, anyway. I know. That's why it's funny. Yeah. Oh, I see. You're hilarious sometimes in ways that I don't understand. Which makes it not (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Good. Thank you. Okay. So... I, so it's interesting, the seed, because, you know, as you were saying, three-fourths of the seed doesn't actually produce anything. Mm-hmm. It's not that the seed was somehow defective. Mm-hmm. It's just that the seed got planted, like, 
in some rocks or yeah. on the path where it, there's no way it's going to survive or some like birds come down and eat it up. And so I don't know. I don't know if I have an emotional connection to the seed. I think it depends on how I allegorize the seed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what do I think it's supposed to represent? The mm-hmm. seed as seed, I'm like, well, I mean, that was pretty wasteful. And a lot of those seeds didn't get to live into their full potential. But I don't know. I don't know if I feel particular feelings about those seeds. Do you feel feelings about those seeds? You know, when I first read it, and this is why I had to back myself up and do this exercise, I think for some reason I have some impulse to say, like, one of these two has to be wrong. Either the sower is doing something wrong or the seed is doing something wrong. I don't Mm. know why I would start with that assumption, but I did. That's interesting. So I cannot see how the seed could be doing anything wrong. Can, Can you... Well, it's, it would be very difficult to because a seed is not, can you, can you hold a seed accountable for what happens to it? Not, not as a seed. No, it's design. Okay. So here are the things I, a a seed has no autonomy or intentions. It goes where the wind blows or where it's dropped. Right. Right. It's designed to grow, but that is dependent on certain needs being met around it. Like yeah. the seed is, is very, is, is dependent. It can't defend itself. And the last thing I came up with is, with is that a seed is nutritious in itself. Like if we think about the sower is planting seeds yeah. for there to be a harvest, the seed is itself like densely nutritious, but if you can allow it to grow and that's why the bird wants to eat it. But if you allow it to grow, it produces more seeds. And so it's, Again, it's like an investment yeah. strategy yeah, yeah, in seeds. That's so interesting, Amy. And when you said you can't hold a seed accountable, of course, my head went immediately back to our conversation about Isaiah 5 and the vineyard. Right. Where that was your point there. Like, how can you hold the vineyard in- accountable? Yes. And, like, I th- take it you to know, court? thank you for bringing that up because I think maybe that was in my head was that like, I maybe you can hold a seed accountable. I mean, you have to loosen how you think about seeds, but- the other question one could ask here is, can you hold the soil accountable? Like, so there's really three, mm-hmm. I mean, there's several characters here, but the sort of three main ones seem like the sower, the seed, and then the soils where they are planted. The, the soil might be a parallel to Isaiah's vineyard. And so I planted this vineyard and it produced sour grapes. And so there's a judgment against the actual vineyard. You could probably read this parable in a similar way, like that we've got different soil types here. And so we could blame the soil for being rocky Mm -hmm. or we could blame it for being shallow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If somebody has got to be at fault here. Right. I think my take on it is the sower is like the sower should be able to discern those things. Yeah. Yes. In the Isaiah text, the, the vineyard owner had gone out, you know, and like carefully tilled and like picked the best soil and done all like, this sower is not doing that. This yes. sower is just like, foo, yes, foo, you just foo. the seed, seeds all over the place without mm-hmm. uh, without trying to control things. Really, just yeah. just letting letting the seeds fly. Yeah, I will say there was one one of these examples in particular that stood out to me where the when it fell on the rocky ground mm-hmm. where it didn't have much soil. And then it sprang up quickly, which is not what I expected. I would have expected that. Mm. I mean, whatever. It doesn't, that detail doesn't really matter. But then it didn't have roots. Like that yeah. it grew entirely on the top and not enough underneath. Yeah. And that made me think about 
how we were talking about how, I think it was how John sort of stayed in the wilderness, like out of public sight until it was time to really hmm. be involved in what he was doing. And he grew his roots and deep. And he grew his roots deep. And how like Mark doesn't have any story of Jesus's childhood. Like Jesus just had a childhood. And then I like when it was that. time to go into public, like had yeah. kind of saved some energy for that. And you know, in the last podcast, I think it was, we were talking about why did Jesus need to be baptized? And that's kind of an interesting way of thinking about it is that was the moment like up until then, he had just been growing deep roots. He was not ready for ministry, and then that's the moment where okay, now we can. Yeah, we can right, right. Because it is there. You are going to get scorched, so you need to have some good roots. I love that, Amy. You know, here Jesus tells a story, and then he says, "Let anyone with ears to hear listen." And it is not at all clear what you're supposed to. <laughs> no, hear there. it is not at and all. So what clear. I love is that what you heard there. You heard something really interesting there about. I mean. It, it was just about one piece of the parable, mm-hmm. but it was a really interesting way of reading that one piece of the parable. If you don't have roots and you grow up too quick, yeah, you're going to get scorched. When things get hard, you're going to have problems. So is it worth, like, I mean, it's hard because you know this text really well. So you probably read it and are like, you already know what the seeds are. I had, for, we, I have read this text before, but I had forgotten what the seeds were supposed to be. Right. Is there anything else we want to say about this parable as it is before we get, you know, we're going to get more information about it later, but. I want to know what you hear when you listen to it. I want to pause at this moment in the text and when Jesus addresses you and me and says, let, if you've got ears, listen. And then what did you hear? Like what, okay. If Jesus then like walks off, Mike drops it and you're like, what was that about? What would you Trying not to read what comes next. Well, for whatever reason, I ha- I associated the seeds with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I associated the seeds with people and was thinking about the environments in which people sort of have a shot and the environments in which they don't and what is the intention for our growth. And who is the very sloppy power that's dress dropping <laughs> all over the place? Yeah. And I read the seeds as sort of like this limited and valuable quantity. Yeah. Which is not at all how, how Mark is going to explain this. It's not. And I, I don't know how much my own interpretation, I, I probably am very much informed by Mark. But I, one of the things I do want to say about how you heard it, Amy, is I think that is very similar to a way to the way an early audience would have heard it as mm-hmm. especially the part about the seeds are a limited resource. And so why are you not taking more care of them mm-hmm. and being more careful about where you plant them? I think that to me, that's one of the rough edges in this parable that gives it some, like that's, that's where the meeting gets generated yeah. is in that issue right there. No, I think that's exactly right. And I'm, I'm glad you sort of put it in that context, that question of the, the sort of, I hate the phrase scarcity mindset because it's used so negatively and I have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it hurts my feelings. But there is that sort of question of, yeah, how much do you have to worry about each individual one of these seeds? When you read it that way, when you think about it that way, then you've got a sower who at at the beginning of the parable seems to be quite reckless. He's got, I don't know how many seeds he's got, but he's treating them like 
he's got an infinite number of seeds. And so it does not matter where he plants them. Yeah. He's being careless with them. And the, the predictable things happen to them. And you, you're mm-hmm. like, come on, sower. Like you knew that bird was going to eat it. You threw it on a path for goodness sake. Like no mm-hmm. seeds ever going to grow on a path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then when you get to the end and you've got the seeds that took root are growing up a hundredfold. That's, that's also a shift in this parable because you were expecting like on the best year, we would have gotten 15 fold and instead we've got a hundredfold. And so then Mm -hmm. you think, well, okay, well maybe, maybe the sower actually didn't need to be careful because we ended up with a better crop than we would have had if he had been so careful in a normal year. Right. 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 So sort of like we're right. Maybe we're paying attention to the wrong thing. Yeah. So now you end up with a sower whose resources actually can kind of be scattered and you don't have to be careful with them because the ones that take root are so productive that it's going to be a rich crop kind of no matter what he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're a farmer, I don't think you want to go home and try that one out, you know, but uh, if you're thinking about like, what is Jesus saying about how the gospel spreads or something like that, then I, then I think we're in interesting territory. Yeah. And it is, it's interesting here that we get, like I'm thinking back to, to the the fishermen who be, get to become fishers of men instead of fishers of fish. Right. And how this is, again, sort of taking a model that was part of the economic system. Yeah, exactly. And using a parable from it. But I think you're right. Like it is, it's turning it on its head. It's not yes. saying to be a good planter of actual seeds to harvest, this is what you should do. Right. It's saying... Re- reorient yes towards towards something else yes i think it is actually saying if you apply the same mindset to this jesus thing that you that you apply to actual doing your day job mm-hmm. you're not going to be very good at you're it not like, you've got to resist your impulses yes and and do something kind of different yeah yeah be you know, wildly. Galilee, where Jesus and these folks are, was is a very agricultural region. And so the people he's talking to, some of them are fisher people and some of them are farmers. Like that's basically the economy of Galilee. And so with, with last week's text and this week's text, we've kind of hit both of those groups. Yeah. Okay. So we have a parable. We have some of our thoughts about how that parable might be read. And then we get these verses that for me are really kind of surprising and and difficult, I guess, yeah. or I should say not what I expected. Yeah. That talk about the secret of the kingdom of God that is not meant to be available to everybody. And then it has these lines from Isaiah yeah, that are difficult to understand in the context of Isaiah also, but I think they're especially difficult to understand here that you're telling people something in a way that they will not be able to understand. Yeah. Why would you do that? <laughs> what do you make of this? It's such a tough one, Amy. And I, I have never honestly settled on a good answer to that question as long as I've sort of wrestled with it. Mm. I was always told as a kid, like Jesus taught in simple stories that anyone could understand. And I was like, oh, that was so sweet of him. Like, what a nice teacher. And then this Mark's interpretation is exactly not that. He taught in stories so that they would not perceive. You were mentioning that quote is from Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And you said it kind of makes sense in the context of Isaiah. 
Could you just say a word about what you think it means there? I mean, here's how I understand it in Isaiah. And please tell me if you read it differently there. I mean, in Isaiah is dealing with a lot of complicated political situations. And there is a sense in, you know, Isaiah and then Jeremiah and then Ezekiel that the pro- there something bad is going to happen. Like the Northern kingdom is going to fall or the Southern kingdom is going to fall. Like it, it's going to happen. And there's some sense of sort of impending doom about it. But there's also some sense that the prophet, there's like an obligation that God seems to feel to tell people it's going to happen. But it also has gotten to a point where it just has to happen. Like we have to, we have to hit bottom. This thing is going to happen. It can't turn around. Don't try to make it turn around. And so the way that that's described in the beginning of Isaiah is that you're going to tell people, but they're not going to understand what you're saying. So it's very uncomfortable for me to read (laughs) because like, what's the point of that? Like you've checked the box, but you haven't actually told the people. But in that context, it's sort of like we have to hit bottom. And I don't, I don't know, maybe there's some of that here too. I I don't know. Does that help at all? I think it does. Like in Isaiah, it's sort of like doing due diligence, right? So you got to say the thing, even though it's not going to have any effect. Because then when people say, but nobody told me, then you can say, but look, I did tell you. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's so interesting to me is Jesus responds to his disciples by saying to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables. So you've gotten this sort of insider Mm -hmm. outsider motif, but what led to that comment was the disciples saying, uh, Jesus, we didn't understand that parable that you just told. Right. And so even the insiders are struggling with what Jesus is teaching. Mm -hmm. One way of understanding that is that to say that you cannot really understand Jesus's parables unless you have understood who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, that means not until the resurrection. Mark thinks you can't really understand. No characters in the story really understand what Jesus is up to until after the resurrection, because that's the whole key to understanding this good news that has been been given. Like without the resurrection, Jesus is a really great teacher. Or, or maybe not, because nobody understands what he's talking about. Once you see the resurrection, then you say, oh, now I understand everything that has been happening. So I think one way of reading this is, of course, nobody understands what Jesus is talking about because they don't understand who Jesus is yet. But there's going to be a time in the future when Jesus is crucified and resurrected. Then if if you read these parables through that lens, then you could understand. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the best I can kind of do with that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I don't know if it really, if it really sort of solves the insider outsider aspect of it for me. It doesn't. The, the connection that I I have nothing really like logical to do with this connection, but it feels connected to me to that opening image of like, in order to talk to the people, Jesus has to go, has to be out on this boat where they can't go. Like there's, there's some kind of buffer. There has to be some kind of space between Jesus and the people. And like, I feel like the parable. Mm. Oh, I like that. 
mimics that in some way. Yeah. I still don't quite know what to do with it other than maybe to sort of say what you're saying, like during this time while Jesus on earth, there is that space, but yeah, it's tough. Hi everyone. It's Bobby here. This month, Bible Worm has a special offer just for you. If you've ever thought about joining our Patreon, now is the time. For the month of January, we're giving all our subscribers access to the full range of Bible Worm features. If you join now at the Bible Worm supporter level, you can get early access to episodes, weekly worship liturgies, and video Bible studies, all for just $4 for the month. If you've ever wanted to try out our Patreon, now's the time. We hope you'll join us. And now, back to this week's episode. Should we go on? I think we should. Okay. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, go on. I don't on feel satisfied about that, but I don't know what else, else to, to say, say about it, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's going to get more complicated in a minute. But first, I'm going to read the interpretation that we get of the parable. We'll see how I did. I don't think I did well. Okay. <laughs> Picking up in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root and endure it only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30 and 60 and 100-fold. Okay, so yeah, the seed is not people. No, the seed seems to be the gospel, the the word. yes. Mm And it does seem to, <laughs> that that makes more sense, Bobby. <laughs> it does. It does. But I mean, you, yes, not reading it that way immediately led to some sort of interesting ideas and conversations, which I think are worth thinking about. Yes. No, I think, I think that's true. But I think, you know, the conversation that you brought up, especially towards the end of that, that conversation about what was that, the sort of argument or some points of tension in the general way that the Pharisees were approaching bringing real Torah into the community versus the way that Jesus wanted to see that happening. Mm -hmm. And it seems like at least Jesus's experience was that the religious leaders around him were being very careful with who they thought was well-equipped to receive the word and were expending a lot of energy in that. Yes. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Just, you know, give the word everywhere. And it is true that it won't always land. No, I, I love that reading of it. I think that's exactly right. That Jesus here, you know, you, you're doing a lot of ministry and the Jesus is doing it. Jesus is spreading the gospel. He's asking his disciples to do it. He's asking his followers to do it. And a lot of that is going to meet with, poor success rates, right? Mm -hmm. Three-fourths of everything you try is not going to work, according to this parable. And you're going to get some things started that are going to die off, and you're going to get some things planted that never produce any fruit at all. And you could be very frustrated about it. 
So one approach would be to be very meticulous about only planting the seeds in soil where you know it's going to grow mm-hmm. and sort of predetermining what is possible in certain places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is not that. This is like mm-hmm. just the gospel is an endless resource. Just mm-hmm. gospel every place you can. Mm-hmm. Don't worry when it doesn't sh- grow up. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's just part of the way that it goes. Mm-hmm. But when it does take root, look what it can do. And so focus on those small places, that little bits of soil that produce so much and don't stop putting the gospel out other places. Just put it everywhere you can think to put it, even on the path, even on the rocky soil. Yeah. It is a really interesting pulling together of sort of holding the word as precious, but also as infinitely available. Yes. And those things don't automatically fly together. Like sometimes precious means something else that you that you have to be careful with it it's limited yes. it's you honor it by by yes. protecting it and this is saying don't protect it it has the capacity for enormous life yeah it's precious in that sense yeah but it doesn't yes. need doesn't need to be protected and it's fine if it doesn't take root every place that it goes yeah one way of reading this parable then so i really love that reading that's the kind of reading that i sort of tend to It is also possible to read what Jesus says here and then start trying to decide either what kind of soil am I Mm -hmm. or what Mm -hmm. kind of soil Mm -hmm. is that person over there? Mm. I don't like to read this parable that way. I like to read it as the sowers like flinging the stuff out there, but it is kind of probably worth thinking about like what kind of soil, like what have I produced with the seed that has been given to me and why is that? And then then that comes back to your comment earlier about the, lack of roots. And then you might think, well, I didn't take the time to develop my roots. And so yeah, that's why I burned out. I'm feeling some impulse also to read those environments where the seed might fall more as communities than individuals. Yeah. 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 I like that too. And I don't totally know why other than just that any, any kind of environment where something could be planted is made up of many things. You know, they fall into a little ecosystem Mm -hmm. and there are there are supportive ones and not supportive ones. Yeah. Okay, I want to read the next section if you're ready because I want to complicate the previous section. Good. I like complications. Okay, good. So I'm picking up in 21. He said to them, "Is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand?" For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given you. For to those who have, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Okay, this to me seems so different than what we were reading in verses 10 to 12, where it was talking about that this sort of secret and, you know, they will look but not perceive and listen but not understand so that they can't turn back and be forgiven. This is really sort of raising up the response you might have to that, which is sort of like, what's the point? What's the point of that? <laughs> You know, like why would a light be given and then not shared, you know, and then stuck under the bed in addition to being a fire hazard? It's also, (laughs) yeah, 
Unless you think there's monsters under there, then actually a light under your bed. Oh, Lord, monsters might be better than... I have two small children, and so, like, every once in a while, we cling out under the beds, and it is so crazy what we find under the <laughs> You'd beds. You'd rather find like, a monster? <laughs> yeah. Like, we probably need a, do need a lamp down there revealing everything that's under there. <laughs> but in some ways, Bobby, I feel like you prepared us for this because you were talking about the other verses as a temporary thing. Mm the sort of secretive nature of things being temporary. Do you think that is what's being sort of confirmed in the first part of this? Here's kind of how I'm reading this right now, Amy, is that, so in the previous bit, we've been talking about the sower spreading the word. Now I think maybe we're talking a little bit about what do you do once you have received the word. And as you're talking about, we've set up this insider outsider thing and like nobody can understand. And so maybe you would receive the word and sort of keep it to yourself if nobody's going to understand it anyway. And it seems to me like this is saying, no, when you've got the, when you've got the gospel, like once you have heard the word, then you put it up somewhere public so that it can illuminate what is out there to be illuminated and don't, don't keep it to yourself. It's a, everything's eventually going to make sense, right? There's, there's going to come a time when everything will be revealed, but mm-hmm. your task in the here and now is to already be illuminating, even though things are not yet fully illuminated. That's where I'm landing. What, what do you think about do you, that? Do you see this as being... I think what I'm understanding from what you're saying, which makes sense from this context, I think that this is really being said specifically to the disciples, like the disciples for whom Jesus has explained this parable. I think so. I think it's a little bit ambiguous. Like in the previous section, he was just talking to the 12. He was alone with the 12 and he explained that stuff about what the parable means. And then he said to them. And so I think that's the way I want to read it. I think that I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Although it's not how I it's not how I read it, but I think that's because I was wrong. How <laughs> no, do I we don't say think that? So. How do we say that? Wrong. Tell me uh, tell me how you were reading it. Well, okay. So I, I I read I'm trying to read at least this whole section together. So there's something about mm. you know, everything nothing is hidden or nothing is hidden forever. Everything will be disclosed. And anyone who has ears should pay attention and listen. And you have to pay attention to what you hear. And so I guess I hear in this, this sort of, again, like call for just regular folks, not only the disciples, to reorient what they're listening to. Mm. And I hear this possibility, at least, that if you're really paying attention to, you know, what we might call like the still small voice of God or however you imagine the spirit moves in the world, if you can figure out how to orient yourself to that, it is, it is available to you. And the more you get in the habit of doing that, the Mm. more is available to you. And it, like you have to figure out, you have to figure out how to listen for that because that's not how we're raised. Yes. And there are a lot more noisy things in the world, but it is there. It's yes. there and it's not, it's not impossible to tap into. 
that's the way I read the end of this passage for sure. Those who have will receive more. Those who don't yeah. have what they don't have will be taken away from them. And one of the things that, you know, on the first reading, I was like, how do you take away something somebody, something somebody doesn't have? It's not that the little that they have will be taken away from them. It's what they don't have will be taken away from them. And that's kind of the way that I was reading that similarly is mm-hmm. once you've sort of started paying attention to this light, then the light grows. And yeah. so nurture that and put it, put it out there where it can be seen and y- your light will grow. Whereas people who have not yet understood, who have not yet listened properly, they, they can't grow anymore. They can't get any lighter because they, they haven't got it yet. Mm-hmm. So that part of it, I think, makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Are you a Sufjan Stevens fan? I used to listen to Sufjan. It's been a long time. I come in and out of chapters where I'm just like completely obsessed with him. And I'm in one now, lucky you. And there's this one lyric to a song that came to my mind as I was reading this. What if the world were not informed by real estate and power lines, the secret river of my life pursued by love? Mm. Which is really just about reorientation. but. Yes. I think what I love so much about it is not the secret river of my life pursuing love. It's pursued by love. Like mm-hmm. it is there and it is pursuing you, mm. but it's, but it's, you have to pay attention to it. And that's a choice. I love that, Amy. And it's connecting like with this passage, it's also connecting with the sower parable with that, like if you take the gospel or the word to be like this abundant life or, or the power of love or however you want to think about it. And it's like, it's just being flung around every place. Yeah. But it matters how the soil is tended and it matters how you receive it. It matters how you pay attention to it. Every time we say sower, I think about this really poor embroidery project that I tried to do when I was in maybe fifth grade. And I was trying to write Amy, the world's greatest sewer on my project. I was a very yeah. modest child. Oh, no. <laughs> that I, yeah, I it came out in my head. sewer. I mean, I the guess that is how you would spell sewer. But, it is. That's, I guess that's why didn't. you use the words. You don't use, you yeah, you sewer. don't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was sad. That's poor, poor child, Amy. Sweet Amy. <sighs> yeah. Okay, we still have a little more text to read. So even though I want to perseverate on this one, maybe we should maybe we should pick up. Yes. So I'm going to pick up in 26 and take us home. He also said, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. That Jesus. (laughs) Explain it to me. (laughs) Tell me. Don't leave me out here in the cold. Bobby, I love that this this one starts, it feels really important to me that it starts with the words, the kingdom of God is as if. Right. How does that change things for you? How does that matter sort of compared to the other parables we've had? That's so interesting because I, I I tend to read most of Jesus's parables as the kingdom of heaven is like, even though they don't, right. aren't always because that. I mean, I think that's a natural thing to do. Yeah. So the, here, the, the throwing alongside is the one side is kingdom of heaven. And then here's two stories that help you understand what that is like. You know, I think of the kingdom of heaven, as you, as you know, not just as some sort of future reality in some distant place, but as a thing that happens here and now among us, or at least could, as well as maybe some fulfillment in the future time. So when I read the kingdom of heaven is like, I'm reading about like, this is what the community based mm-hmm. on the gospel is, is like, or should be like. I can't help but read this together with the other sower parable. Yeah, for sure. A little bit. How does how does this? Well, I guess what do you draw from this one? How does it sort of res? Like how does it enrich your understanding of of the whole picture here? When we say this one, we're thinking about the. Oh the yeah, sorry. Uh, yes, we're talking about grow. yes, yes, the sower who who sleeps and rises but doesn't really know how. I love this, this guy. Yeah, I love this guy. Yeah, I'm very much like I'm very much like him, I think, which is I think he's being held up as like a, you know, a positive. So that makes me feel good because he doesn't have any idea what he's doing. He's not mm-hmm. even said to be a sower here. He's just somebody who scatters seed and he goes to bed and he like takes a nap and he doesn't know, like he doesn't do anything. And then, wow, like there's a crop. And yeah. that's so often is how things go. <laughs> For me, like you just kind of put some stuff in the world and some of it grows up and does amazing things and some of it doesn't. And I don't really know. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And here it doesn't matter why. It It is when you put the seed and here I'm because we've just read the other parable. I'm reading seed as the as the word when, or the gospel. When you put that in the world, like it will it will do its own thing. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to worry about it. You're, you don't have to micromanage. Right. Just put it out there. Take a nap. Right. <laughs> and I think it's meaningful to me that we're at this moment that we're in this metaphor of planting, because I feel like this is one of the warnings that the Israelites get when they finally come into the land of Israel and have land and crops, that they will start to think that they are the ones growing the Yes. Like it is by their power. Yeah. And it was never by their power. Like, okay, fine. You can get better at planting your seeds, but you don't actually know how this, you're not making it happen. I love that, Amy. If you take what I was saying about, you don't have to feel responsible for every little bit of it. That read that sort of Mm -hmm. hits one set of people. And if you read it, like you cannot take credit for anything. You can't take credit for it. Right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like this, this sower really like has partnered with the earth and the sun and the, you know, seasons and the whatever. And 
done their part and then, you know, some kind of magic happens. I like the way you said that too, because he has done his part and he did what he, he did what was his to do. Mm -hmm. And then he didn't know what was going to happen after that, but it wasn't his part. And so he didn't have to be responsible for it and he can't take credit for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that parable of the mustard seed. And I I love Mark's version in particular. Luke and Matthew both change it so that the mustard seed grows into a great tree, Mm -hmm. which, which as you well know, for the Hebrew Bible, the tree is like a, you know, an image of the kingdom of God and like all the nations will come and flock to its branches here. And um, the CEB has it. I forget what the NRSV was. The, The CEB has it as, it became the largest of all vegetable plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was yours like yeah. a really nice shrub or something? Yeah, I got the greatest of all shrubs. <laughs> yeah, which I love that language because you're like the greatest of all, and you start you start to picture like a redwood tree, like a you know? Cedar. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. like it's a it's a it's a nice shrubbery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I think it's a I don't know I think it's supposed to be kind of funny actually. And, you know, the fact that Matthew and Luke changed it to be a tree makes you think they were a little bit like, Mark, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? Which also makes me think, by the way, that if Jesus told this parable, he probably told it Mark's way. What I take from it is a couple of things. One is we can sometimes get attached to these unrealistic visions of what it would look like if we were actually living for a moment of time in a community that was approximating the kingdom of God. We we think that might be this super impressive, powerful, like gold-plated, whatever, tallest tree in the forest. And this is saying, no, it's just like, it's a shrub. Like it's, like, it's fine. And so that outward appearance, like what's amazing about it is this tiny little seed became this thing that like. That becomes a home for other animals, you know, that can make nests and find shade and. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is the other thing I love about this parable is I don't think anybody plants mustard seed in order to create a home for birds. Like they, cre- they plant it because they want to use it medicinally or because mm-hmm. they want to use it in, mm-hmm. as a spice, I guess. And so the birds are kind of like, <laughs> like unwanted, I think. I don't know. Like that wasn't the intention. That wasn't, yeah, they weren't the point. And so when I read this parable, I think here we've got this kind of, you know, it's a nice shrub that is doing something entirely other than what you thought it was going to do. And that's the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And I like, I love that because when you plant seeds and you don't know what they're going to go, they might go in all kinds of directions. And maybe, maybe the intention that God has for them is to be a home for some sort of creatures or some people that we don't anticipate as being the people we intended it for or the purpose we had in mind. And that's the way it is. Like, that's just the way the kingdom of heaven goes. You can't control those outcomes. Mm -hmm. So so just let it, let it be what it is. Welcome the birds when they come. Yeah. I mean, it's making, hearing you talk about that is making me think just about all the ways, like if you think about the natural environment, like things that grow in the world may have a particular purpose and importance to us. And there may be other things that grow or, you know, creatures that we decide are gross that, we feel like has no purpose, but we, you, you can't necessarily see the enormity of, of the system and how it serves all of these different needs at the same time. You see your little piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you didn't, you didn't want it there for a bird's nest, but 
that's not your concern. And the bird's nest was what was needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that I like the mustard seed, especially coming on the heels of all of this other conversation of the sower, because it's a reminder to me that even the kingdom of God as a mustard seed can't do it on its own. Yeah. Like there, there is a system. It needs a sower. It needs the earth. Like it has enormous potential, but there is, there's also some relationship and back and forth and like alchemy to actually let it come to be this fantastic shrub. Yeah. Which reminded me of like, Zechariah's prayer you said at that time yeah. like maybe like maybe that was the reason that this angel showed up and maybe that was the reason that John the Baptist was born like maybe his prayer started this whole thing moving or like thinking about the way the heavens responded to Jesus's baptism mm-hmm. like that that there's a even the kingdom of God needs the contributions of our needs our feeble contributions yeah 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 <laughs> to uh to do the next thing. Yeah. I love that. And mustard seeds, of course, are super unimpressive and they seem tiny and, and not worth very much. And so our little our little tiny contributions is exactly right. Yeah. Oh, I just want to ask one more quick, quick really quick question on this. It's about the sickle. <laughs> oh, yeah. In I verse 29. So, I, yeah. I mean, I think I've seen too many horror movies. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, no, don't come out with a sickle. But it seems like maybe it's not it's not bad in this context. No, I mean, I read it just as saying, like, the harvest is here, y'all. Like, let's go gather it in. Okay, so everything has happened the way it should. and I think so. And now you have a part again. You plant the seed, you sleep while all the magic happens, and then you get to it. And there's okay. your crop. That's the way I read it, yeah. But you're right. Not like like there's, I don't <laughs> think, sometimes sickles in the Gospels are apocalyptic imagery of angels, and bad stuff happens after that. But... I, here, I think it's Not just saying one. he planted some seeds. He had no idea what happened for like, you know, months yeah. at a time. And then there was the harvest and he went like, out and got surprise. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Good. I didn't want anything scary to happen in the middle of the story. <laughs> okay, well, that was a lot to think about. Yeah. What is at the front of your mind as we come to the end of? I really love this text so much, Amy, because, you know, the way that I read all of these stories is... I identify as the sower. I don't know what that says about me. Or, or that's the way we're supposed to identify. But I read it as what does it mean to be a person who has been given the gospel, who has been given this story about the possibility of God's kingdom and the abundant life that it offers? What do you do with that? Yeah. And what this text is saying is get it out there. Just like tell the world about it. Like share that, show that, be that, live that. And don't think so much about how you do it or where you do it or why you do it or what the method is or what the strategy is. Just fling those seeds out into the world and see what happens. You can't control the outcomes. Mm -hmm. You can't micromanage everything and you can't take credit for whatever it produces, or at least you shouldn't. And when it gets out in the world, you actually should expect a fairly low success rate in the terms of like, seeds to success ratio, maybe three-fourths of the things you put in the world are not going to work. But when the seed takes root, it really takes root and things grow up. And that's just the way that it is. And and 
live into that, lean into that and appreciate it for what it is. The la- the very last parable also to me adds another layer, which I really like, which is when you put that love in the world, when you speak the gospel, you don't know what it's going to grow up to be. And maybe you shouldn't know what it's going to grow up to be. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't try, like when birds come and land in your mustard seed, you shouldn't chase them off because maybe that's what was needed. Maybe that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And some birds needed a place to rest. And that's what you put in the world, even though you were trying to make some spice for your hot dog. (sighs) So put the gospel in the world and let it become what it's going to be. And that's our, that's our job. Mm. I love it. I love that, Bobby. I love the way that it, again, sort of like messes with, at least as a modern person, the way I would think about almost like (laughs) the economy of time and effort, like that, are you getting a good return for what you're doing? No. I mean, well, actually, maybe you are because you're getting the 30, 60, 100 But it doesn't fold. appear that you are. But it doesn't appear that you are. It's just, it's like over and over again, they're just introducing a really a different, I don't even want to use the word economy, but I also do because I think it's, it's yeah. suggesting that like the world should run on a different system. Absolutely. Our decisions yeah. should be based on a different system. Yeah. And this is, would be a strange one in a capitalist universe, oh maybe. Yeah. But that's, that's exactly the point, that it's, it's not that. Yeah. The other thing that really stands out to me, Bobby, is just, I mean, it's kind of what I was, what I was just talking about with the, the last section in terms of like everyone has their part. I mean, it's really the same thing that you said. Like you have your part to do. You might be the sower, but you're not actually making things happen. Nobody has all the cards. Like even the kingdom itself doesn't have all the cards, but we have to play our part. I heard a new Hanukkah teaching this year, which is like a rare gem because there's eight nights. So, and like Hanukkah is not actually that big of a Jewish holiday, but (laughs) so when you hear a new one, that's good. It's, it's a special thing. So this is what I heard this year. Okay. So Hanukkah eight nights, a miracle where you thought the oil that was going to light the lamp in the temple would only last one night and it lasts eight nights. So someone asked, if you knew you had oil for the first night, then that actually was only seven nights of miracles because (laughs) the first night you knew you had that oil, Yeah. right? So to that person, we would say the miracle of the first night is that even though there was no way you could see how Mm. this was going to turn out for the good, you lit it anyway. Yeah. Like it would have been very easy to say like, I don't have the capacity. There's nothing I can do to make this last. So I'm just going to yeah, throw my hands up and say, I guess, I yeah. guess we're not going to be able to keep the lamp lit. But they didn't do that. They did what they could do and then see what happens next. I love that. Or they could have divided the oil and used a little bit of it each night. Or right. Something. They could. Yeah. They could have tried to do some mm-hmm. other thing, but I love that they didn't. They didn't. And if you're thinking in terms of probability and likelihoods and strategies, it's, it's bad. It's a bad strategy. It probably, you know, like you can't think about it that way. It's the, the economy of the kingdom does not work the way, the way the economy of Freakonomics works. Truer words have not been spoken. Yeah, I, don't, I think they might have. <laughs> I think they might've been spoken. Oh, Bobby, next week, we are picking up in the next chapter, Mark chapter five, 
verses 1 through 20. It's a good one. Oh, it has swine herds. It does. Okay. And a legion of demons. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that sounds exciting. It does. Swine and demons. Good times. This time we just got the seeds. Next time we get swines and demons. Although there was Satan made an appearance as a bird. That's true. That's true. A Satan bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bobby, thanks for a good conversation this week. You too, Amy. I'll see you next time. time. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced and edited by Bobby Williamson. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all of our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible. Next week, we'll pick up with Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Until then, keep on digging.